There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tortoise. In January 2023, Tortoise and Sky News launched the Westminster Accounts. It was the first fully searchable database of the money being used to oil the machinery of British politics. And in this bonus episode of the news meeting, we're going to look back at the impact of the Westminster accounts, what we learnt and what we hope to learn still. I'm James Harding, I'm the editor of Tortoise, and I'm joined here in our newsroom by our political editor, Kat Nealon, and also by Sky News' deputy political editor, Sam Coates, alongside our data scientist, Joe White, who put the whole project together. I'm going to start, if I might, Sam, with you. How much does money matter in British politics? Hello, James. Uh, it's really easy to just say things like money is the lifeblood of our politics. It's kind of you, 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 like handy cliche. Um, I think we use that quite a lot when we rolled out the <laughs> Westminster accounts. Um, but I think actually it's interesting to, to look at why. First of all, because our political system today requires an awful lot of it an awful lot of it um uh caps of tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds uh uh that's the amount that's spent by each political party uh in election year in order to fund staff campaigning literature adverts so um you you just need a high amount in order to uh, uh run an election campaign or an election year and i think that the question of money is going to be particularly pertinent uh in 2024 um and aside from the sums, I think it's also interesting because the people that give money become a big focus of attention for politicians. Uh, donors have a special status in our political system, not just because uh, we're interested in them, but because politicians often pay great heed to what they are doing and saying. I'll just give you a couple of examples. It really was when the donors started turning off or turning against both Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, in amongst all the other things that were going on. But that was when you started to feel the, the sand shifting uh, from beneath both of those former prime ministers' feet. It, 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 it's probably too trite to say that there is a is that there is a, a a possible culture of just very straightforwardly buying influence on policy X or policy Z. That's that's frankly very very hard uh, to prove or or see. But but you do have a kind of constellation, a sort of ecosystem uh, of people with disproportionate weight. Uh, in their views, uh, and and that has a big impact on our politics. But did it change your view, Sam? Because I suppose I've often thought about money and politics. I suspect my prejudice about it is rooted in a view of American politics, where the sums are so large, but then, of course, they have political advertising, so they just churn through billions of dollars in their 
uh, political culture. It, in some ways, when I looked at the Westminster accounts, one of the things I thought was the sums are small. British politics is much more viable and viable by a relatively small group of people or a few individuals. Did it change the way in which you think about money and politics overall? Um, I I think it it reinforced what I thought already. I think what matters isn't almost the attitude of the donors uh, or the size, in some cases, the size of the giving. What matters is the attitude of the politicians to that donor. That, that, that's what it's all about. It's, what we're trying to do, really, is get to the heart of what instinctively, as journalists, we have a curiosity about, which is, why do people give to political parties? What do they think they get out of it? What do they really get out of it, if anything at all? Um, and... Uh, and, and I find all kind of different combinations of looking at that that question interesting. And 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 yes, I think there is there is definitely something in your point that some of the sums that we have been talking about have been lower than the ones in American politics. But one of the things that came to light through the Westminster accounts was that you know politicians, MPs were taking risks for what I would regard as comparatively low sums of money, tens of thousands of pounds, 5,000 pounds, absurdly low sums of money. They were taking risks, not asking, not asking proper questions, um, not, not thinking about what, what that looked like, how that worked. And, and I think that uh, all the way along, I think politicians do actually put donors on a pedestal. And that's why it's fascinating to go properly into the data that um, gives us a sort of opens the door to telling us some of the stories that we didn't know before. Kat, what did you come to think about how much we know about who's giving what? Well, there are, of course, uh, the vast majority of donors who are individuals who are named or unions who we all sort of know what they sort of represent and what they're after. But there were a few stories and there continue to be uh, some uh, some entities where it's very difficult to actually get to the bottom of who they are. And that is not just a problem with Parliament. Um, it's a problem with Companies House, which is the sort of foundation that a lot of this is built on. Because if you have a UK company listed on Companies House, you can donate through that entity. But you don't actually have to share much more information than that. Well, well, let's just figure out exactly how this thing works, Joe. So the Westminster accounts does what? How do you put it together? Just explain the mechanics. Yeah, sure. So basically what it's doing is bringing together sort of three separate sets of information uh, about um, money flowing into politics and sort of trying to sort out that information. So it's fundamentally it's donations to political parties, uh, which is sort of like, you know, the unions donating to Labour. Uh, It's donations... Uh, money received by MPs, which comes down to sort of donations for their campaigning. It comes down to sort of second jobs they're taking on. And it comes to sort of gifts and benefits they might receive, like sort of they might get free football tickets or they might get sort of free visits to other countries. And then the last thing is um, money flowing into APBGs. So um, for a bit of background, these are all party parliamentary groups. And you can think of them as sort of special interest groups, um, cross-party that sit within Parliament. Um, they're not sort of like select committees. They're sort of more informal, but they sort of um, cover everything from there's an APBG on drones, there's an APG, APBG on cystic fibrosis, and sort of several APBGs for countries. There's actually more APBGs than there are MPs. There's something like 740 wow. of them. And, and that money can also flow into those to sort of support their, um, support their uh, operations. 
Um, and so we built the Westminster accounts to say, well, let's bring all of that together. Let's clean all of this data because it's sort of, it's not there as a spreadsheet. It's sort of essentially text that we need to um, sort out and allow, um, build it into a tool, which means not just reporters, but anyone can use this tool to answer sort of, you know, where are their MPs getting money from? Uh, how much time are they spending in sort of second jobs? Um, so how much money they're receiving in second jobs and how much time are they spending and sort of what external groups are actually putting money in, which was something that was essentially impossible to answer until we did this. And actually, it's just worth, Joe, spelling out the, the searchable nature of this database because it wasn't just us as journalists at Sky or at Tortoise. The idea was that journalists had a whole bunch of news organisations and heaven knows they did, really used it. But it was also anyone could, you know, plug in their MP or plug in a potential donor. So can you just explain how the searchable nature of this thing works? Yeah, so the idea is that you can sort of search it two ways. You can search it from the recipient of the money or you can search it from the source of the money. So, you know, if you want to know your MP, um, you can type in your postcode or you can type in, you know, the name of your MP and it will give you a big list of all of the donors uh, and sort of summed up how much money they've given or sort of second jobs. Um, that was already very difficult to do sort of before we did this. The thing that was sort of completely impossible is if you wanted to know from the other side, uh, I want to know sort of how much they donated to every individual MP, you'd have to go through every single entry for these MPs and actually every MP has sort of separate documents because they update it two weeks. It was essentially impossible. And so what this tool allows you to do is you can search that and it brings it all in a single place and you can essentially see sort of the full financial network. This is, But this is the big thing that we did. It wasn't proving or not proving the link between, you know, decisions and donations it was to present data in a way that they have always stopped us from doing it was the leaderboards we created leaderboards of the biggest donors to mps the biggest recipients amongst mps of donations the biggest donations uh, and funding for app it's like it, and, and this is the stuff that they hate because mps hate one thing more than anything else and that's any form of ranking and that's what we did in spades. Because it, because as journalists, then we go, okay, who's top of the list of highest outside owners? Oh, it was Theresa May. Then it was Boris Johnson. And we, and you start asking questions of that. And it just helps frame the whole debate. But my gosh, MPs will never do that themselves. And, and, and But we did. And it also showed us that one of the largest individual donors was the Qatari government. Because this was in the run-up to the World Cup. And even though there are lots of rules about money coming from foreign entities, particularly foreign governments, the loopholes provided by APPGs mean that MPs were able to take all expenses paid trips to Qatar, to Doha, ostensibly to see how things were, being, were coming together ahead of the World Cup and to make sure that human rights abuses weren't being carried out. But also, oh, thank you very much. I have a six star stay in a luxury hotel. Um and it was it was about was it about three hundred thousand in the end yeah, totally, yeah. Um, for one for for the period that we were looking at, which made it a top five donor to MPs or a top five uh, source of of finances. Uh, and the f fact that we live in a political culture where our politicians tell us all the time that we have one of the most transparent parliaments in the world, that our politics is you know visible. How does that square with the fact that when you put all the sums together, when you put the numbers together, you see things that you've never seen before. In other words, is it true that our politics is transparent? Is there a difference between transparency and visibility? And if there is, 
Is it the case that that's because no one in politics really has an interest in making this easily accessible, or is it something a little more pernicious than that? Is it deliberately withheld? I think there's an element to which that these systems have been built up over a number of years and therefore they've kind of become labyrinthine just by the nature of, of how they've come together. That isn't an excuse. And you would think that if if uh, Parliament was genuinely committed to transparency, they would have reformed it by now. But it, the fact that it took Joe and Katie, our other data journalists, so long to get to the bottom of things and that there were mistakes in the data that they had to correct uh, because the MPs had uploaded it wrongly um, just goes to show that it is it is people were almost blinded by the wealth of data that was there Joe just explain um, uh, Kat mentions Katie Riley and you and the team of data journalists and colleagues at Sky it was quite a gang of people worked on this what were you working off was it kind of Excel spreadsheets printouts website databases I mean how much stuff spoke to each other? What was the nature of the data you were dealing with? Um, it sort of it was taken from, from sort of various um, sources online, so sort of public data sets, and these are things that sort of MPs have to uh, release, for example, or the Electoral Commission releases it, and it's all separate. And so the sort of the task we had was um, bringing it together. And we actually, we experimented with lots of different ways of sort of understanding that data and making it accessible to journalists. And one of the things about this project was we didn't start with a really clear idea of like, we know exactly what we want, and we know exactly how we're going to process it. We sort of started with a, right, let's go out and find stuff and sort of throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. But we experimented with lots of different ways. And in the end, sort of, um, for sort of leaderboards, like the spreadsheet was ultimately the sort of just ranking things. I guess what I'm trying to understand is why we needed to do this project in the first place, because Parliament could surely say, you know what, we're going to create one place where all the information sits, it all speaks to each other. To a certain extent, we wouldn't need to do this if they did. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think there's not much incentive for them to sort of put it together. As you say, the system's not... I don't think it's sort of been deliberately engineered to be sort of obscure, but in practice, it's been built up over a number of years. The way MPs record their financial data is not sort of, you know, a set of numbers. It's sort of essentially a dump of text that they update every two weeks. I, 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 I think Joe is massively underselling what he did last year, <laughs> and Katie and the rest of the team, for this reason. The Register of Members' Financial Interest is not a straightforward document, and it is not a straightforward document for the very clear reasons that MPs have chosen not to make it a straightforward document. Take just one area of outside earnings. Now, uh, I mentioned a few moments ago how much MPs dislike being able to be ranked. So they use every trick in the book to make sure that you can't compare on a like-for-like basis people's outside earnings. So some will report earnings over a time period. Some will report what they get a month, but not say when the months start and when the months finish. Some will report a range. Some will report retrospectively. Some will stick in figures months after they have... All of that is designed so you can't do a league table of the sort that we did because it means a human being spending ages looking at each entry going, well, I think that that kind of little bit of text that one once upon a time would have been written in a quill pen actually means that in 2022, they earned this. That was a mammoth job. And it required an awful lot you know, of risk as well as work because you were having to make assumptions about what each earnings statement actually meant. Uh, And doing that on the scale that we did, people like Joe did, has never been done before because it's such a big piece of work. And and Sam, forgive me, who's your manager if you're an MP? Who who do you have to get this report into? Whose job is it to say, I want to make sure all MPs report 
in the same way to the same timetable so that we can sensibly compare what everyone's doing? Well, that's a good question because there are layers and layers of answer to that, which um, ultimately I'm going to conclude that it's everybody and nobody. So uh, MPs have to report the data about what they're... Uh, uh, to the to the registrar, and um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, that registrar who has the power to investigate um, is only required to collect the data in certain kind of limited and specific ways, and is they are allowed to be slightly in uh, unprecise, imprecise about the kind of way that they record. Uh, the data and then MPs will say well I'm following the rules which are set by MPs and the ultimate judges uh, of whether or not I've done things in the right way are the constituents who can see what I've declared uh, and will judge it on me uh, every uh, four or five years at a general election so by that point it's that's what I mean by everybody and nobody but to come back to an earlier point of yours this is like the point about what does transparency mean when you hear a politician talk about transparency they don't mean it's transparent, so go and look at it. It's, yeah. I've put it on a website, and then the bit in brackets is, I'd rather you didn't spend a lot of time working out what it meant. Because which, I'm which not is clear. what this thing did. And, and that's the point. It was as much an exercise in forcing us to go and spend some time swimming through this sea of data as, as anything else. And we, I spent more time than I ever have done in my career uh, just dealing with both what it said and then what our analysis said in order to paint a series of new pictures that we hadn't done before. One of those new pictures was around second jobs. Because I thought that the numbers said something that surprised me. One of which was that the vast majority of MPs don't earn considerable amounts outside of Parliament. And the other was that a very small number of people earn an incredible amount of money outside of Parliament. Is that a fair read on what the numbers say yeah and I, I mean I don't think that that's that surprising actually I think um you know it was it was heavily concentrated towards conservatives um there are a lot of MPs who have professional qualifications lawyers uh, in in general but also other other qualifications nurses and so on so so there is a certain degree to which um they maintain them by working but you know there are some uh who earn a lot on the speaker circuit um and there are some who are not simply doing it to maintain their professional qualification, but it is, to be honest, it is their first job, not their second job. Do you, do you think that we've got to grips with the viability of very prominent politicians on the speaker circuit? The ones who made the most money by far have made money speaking I know to... the speaker circuit particularly exercises you. Um, I, I am less exercised by that, to be honest. I appreciate that uh, it means that there's sort of networking and things going on that necessarily we don't see and we don't hear about. Um, but I think uh, Theresa May, for example, who was topping the, the leaders board at the time as the former prime minister, you know, she can command several hundred thousand pounds speaking to a room full of people. I mean, I wouldn't pay for that, but lots of people would. No, and actually, I'm not sure it excites me. I'm just curious about it. I'm curious to know what what people are getting and what's implied in that. Is a former prime minister a tool for convening people? Is it a marketing exercise? And maybe you're right. Maybe it's one person sharing their experience and lots of people eager and interested to learn. I mean, it, it's a little bit like the lobbying industry, this. It's, um, it, a lot of it is not about specific 
deliverables that are then served up for a client. It's about everybody making um, making themselves feel big and important. And, and and I'm not and I'm not sure that having Theresa May come to your conference in Qatar or wherever it is, or Saudi is actually the one that we focused on. Um, it, it, it like d- d- like does much particularly much more than that. Um, and what do you think it does to the perception of politics? Because one of the things that I was struck and John Riley when he conceived of this whole project and Jonathan Levy now the Edward Sky and I talked about at the time was just how people in Westminster talk about sums of money in a way that are completely different from the way in which pretty much every voter thinks about sums of money, you know. And it's not just tens of thousands of pounds, five thousands of pounds. It's sort of, you know, a few hundred pounds that you may be picking up for doing a telephone interview with a polling company. All of that seems like a lot of money sloshing around and and a different attitude to money. Do you think the Westminster accounts made you think differently about the relationship that politicians have and the public have with money? If I could answer that in a slightly separate way. I mean, I think... You know, one of the things that you could see quite quickly, uh, looking at polling, looking at the responses to the Westminster Grants Project, was like such a huge anger that like the sums, and and we remember from MPs' expenses, it's the small sums as well as the big sums that 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 cause that can cause as as much of a, a row. It, it, the test is actually how relatable the issue is to people's normal lives. And that right, but but for all the anger. Um, I, I'm interested in where people genuinely kind of place that on their list of priorities when they're, for instance, deciding how they're going to cast their vote at the next election. I'll be I'll be interested to to set the kind of top earners of outside jobs uh, against the people that are re-elected or re-elected with a significantly cut margin. Is is the fact that Theresa May was you know top of the charts for for quite some time going to have any impact at all on the constituents? Making a calculation that they might not like it, but but in in the round they're going to forgive the outside earning because they saw contributions in this parliament that they potentially liked, and therefore they're going to re-elect her uh, as the as the MP in 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 Maidenhead. It's a it's a it's a complicated algorithm, and I think it's um, uh, I, th- I I think um, there is a initial reaction of people loving to hate politicians doing a lot of things. But I'm then interested in kind of when it actually comes to the ballot box, kind of there it, people seem to make a different judgment to the to, to the one that caused the spark of anger at the point of seeing uh, the, the 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 sort of sums the, gained. I was going to say on the small sums, I do think one that's actually things that people got upset about was not necessarily the huge sums of money, but actually sort of even if it was a small amount of money, if it came from a source that people didn't really approve of. Um, that got people really exercised. I mean, when we released this, obviously we got a lot of national coverage, but actually what we also got was a lot of local newspapers sort of taking this. I think we had about 38 different organisations, you know, like the Slough Observer and people, and they were able to sort of drill into their individual sort of constituents and MPs and say, why have you taken, even if it's sort of, you know, a few thousand, why have you taken a few thousand to go to Qatar? Why have you taken sort of football tickets from the gambling industry? These were small sums of money, but it was more the question of why are you taking any money from these? Why are you going off and sort of going to free cricket matches? Uh, And what about voters? Do we know how many people have used the Westminster Accounts database so far? Um, So I think the sort of total views is well over a million now. And I think we've had sort of 600,000 sort of users. Uh, And we actually sort of make the sort of underlying data set available. And we've had a few hundred people sort of drill into the data sort of for their own purposes, not just sort of using the, the main tool. Interesting. All right. So what do we not know now? 
what cat are the questions that the Westminster accounts haven't yet begun to answer and you think that if we try to look at the data in our politics all over again we would want to learn well the problem is that we can only know what has been published we can't know what hasn't there are lots of known unknowns and there are some unknown unknowns <laughs> as well um so I know, for example, from work that I've done previously, that um, some MPs uh, have what they call a community account, which they don't publish if the money goes into that because they use it for local things like running jobs fairs and things like that. Um, so how many MPs have community accounts that are going unpublished with money that may be £5 below the threshold and therefore doesn't have to be registered? Um what, uh, again, to my point earlier about Companies House, where does the money ultimately come from when entities are donating? Um, I think that the sort of loophole that enables any company to donate uh, without us actually knowing who the individual was, because, of course, it's never a company. A company doesn't have a brain. Mm -hmm. It is an individual at the end of the day. So who are those individuals actually donating? And what is the ultimate um, origin of it particularly when um, and again this was more of a, a story from before Westminster accounts really but I think has kind of lingered and rumbled on throughout the year when you have people who were wealthy Russians and are now UK citizens how clean is that money ultimately these are the kind of questions that I think need to be asked mm. in, in a sort of wider thing and there is also uh, this other question around um, unincorporated associations, which is another one of these slightly, perhaps deliberately boringly named groups, a bit like APPGs, um, that sort of act as a sort of middle, uh, ma middle man, middle entity in which money goes in and money then comes out. But it adds a layer of opacity in our system. Hmm. Sam, what do you not know? Um, I'm going to be really rude. I think that's the wrong question. <laughs> and the reason I think that's the wrong question is that um, we created something big and new, but what we did was we spent a lot of time looking at it. And I think the great danger is that we're looking for the next thing to add on top rather than just let's keep looking at what we've built because what we've built is new and is giving us new information all the time. The most interesting time to look at what we've already built is the run-up to an election. Actually, what I'm interested in is campaign finance. What happens now? We looked, the Westminster Accounts Project, when it was launched, because of when it was launched in the January of 2023, effectively looked at politics in peacetime. We are about to enter war, the political war of the 2024 general election, whenever that may be, probably the end of the year. And that is going to mean that we're at the business end of people donating, the business end of people looking for second jobs, the business end of individuals getting money from slightly opaque places. Rather than seeking the new, the new bit of the tool, the add-on, actually, I think the first thing that we need to do is go, well, actually... We, we, aren't, we asked quite a lot of the right questions and that's what we've got to drill in because now is the time that the tool and the journalism is more important than, than, than ever. And, uh, and, and yes, there are uh, things, bolt-ons and stuff that we can do, but um, 
as we said earlier, the data opens the doors to the stories. Let's let's not stop looking at the data and opening the doors to more stories. No, I, well, I'm going to be even more rude, which is going to be to answer the question that I shouldn't have asked myself, <laughs> because I think there is something, Sam, in trying to figure out what we don't know now. Not in the sense of saying, oh, well, we've done that job, you know, you can pat ourselves on the back and move on. You're completely right. There's actually something incredibly valuable about trying to understand the same data sets over time, you begin to see the patterns. And as you say, I completely get your point, which is, you know, money in politics in 2023 is going to be fundamentally different from money in politics in 2024. But I have to say that I feel as though we've got a chunk of the Westminster accounts. But if you were, if you'd like, accounting a whole corporation, I don't feel as though we've got the whole Palace of Westminster. And by that, I would say House of Lords. There's obviously a real complexity around disclosure in the House of Lords. Uh, Their engagement in politics is different. Their outside interests are different and huge. Um, I think that one of the issues that we still have to get to is is the issue that you raised about not assuming the intentions, but understanding the connections. So, for example, donors in the property and real estate sector have always been disproportionately high. How do you then begin to understand what planning decisions are made by parts of government? And this may not just be at a national level, it may be at a local level. And what's the relationship between donors, if you like, and government business? And another thing that I think has been really hard to get at, and this is not possibly Westminster accounts, it may be sort of more kind of Whitehall diaries, is understanding time and access. Who in the one database gets to play, you know, uh, in the diary of of the other, i.e. Westminster Whitehall? And then I've got this final question, which is about honours. So I think that we still don't fully understand the relationship between donations and our honours system. And so that's what I meant more by what we don't know now, not that the data set itself uh, kind of leaves too much in the dark. It's just that there are whole other sets of data that I think would give us a fuller picture. Kat and Sam, I'm intrigued to know the sort of gossipy end of this. How much pushback did you get in the lobby from MPs saying... Why are you doing this? This isn't helpful. You know, you're not, you know, understanding the way in which this works. Or there are still a couple of MPs that I haven't spoken to since. Um, one accused me of trying to ruin his life, and we've not spoken since the day that Westminster Accounts tool was published. So, did you have any of that, Sam? Yeah, we ended some relationships, um, and we can think some of the some of the thoughts were unfair fad that you know some people felt picked on some people felt the system treated them badly but it was an it, it was um it was it, it was an inevitability and something that you knew was likely to happen but 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 um the thing about the project i always came back to is that there was never any inaccuracy in the tool or the journalism through the whole of Westminster accounts um, going up online and all the journalism something we did at Sky, there has never been one kind of meaningful complaint well, I'm uh, or anything uh, uh, until now uh, that has ever been that there's ever been problematic. And actually, it's worth saying one of the things that I thought was really good in the process of figuring out with Sky was actually working out what's the mechanism by which someone who is an MP can go back and say, hang on, you've got this wrong. 
Because as often as not, if there was a problem, it was a problem in the declaration rather than in the kind of pulling together data. Do you think that money will play a part in the outcome of the general election? Kat? So slightly picking up on what Sam has already said, but I think that this is a slight chicken and an egg question because I think as much as you see the polls shift, uh, you also see donation trends shift and Labour has become suddenly over the last 18 months very donatable and the Conservatives less so. And that is not necessarily because people are thinking that they might be able to influence things, but just that suddenly Labour seems like a much more viable prospect. Mm. Um, and therefore, you know, why wouldn't you? If, you're, if you believe in the project and the sort of broad kind of thrust of what they're doing, and yes, perhaps have some hope that they might look favourably on you when it comes to shaping policy then that seems to be a much more plausible thing to do. And Sam, there's a story in that too, isn't there, which is that the visibility enabled by the Westminster accounts helps voters understand where the sentiment of donors is. It's actually a, a, a poll, if you like. That, that's right. Um, and yeah, of course it's going to make a difference. Let me give you a, like, it, the difference will be in the disparity. So um, last year, in 2023, the Tories raised something in the region of 100 million quid overall. Um, now, that's going to be uh, spent over a long period of time on a, on a number of different things, definitely, definitely pre-campaign, where there are much tighter rules on what you can spend. Uh, Labour did not raise anything like that over that uh, period. Um, now, they might you know, be able to raise the, what is it, 30-odd million. Uh, both Labour and the Tory party might both be able to raise the 30-odd million for the for the short campaign. Um, but the Liberal Democrats won't. It's not clear that the SNP will. So there, straight off, is a absolutely concrete example of where there will be masses more advertising literature targeted in a far more meaningful and specific way at voter groups uh, that um, some political parties and not others think will be absolutely vital in uh, lending them support or, you know, if they're more likely to vote for Labour or the more likely to vote for an opposition party, stay at home. That That's where, so that's the big bit where uh, uh, where politics makes a difference, where there are disparities. And whilst we don't yet know the size of the disparity between Labour and the Tories, we know for certain there'll be a disparity between you know, the Tories and the Liberal Democrats, the Tories and the SNP. So that's your answer. Interesting. Let, let, let me finish with um, you, Joe. Uh, and I hope you're not going to think this is a suggestion, it genuinely is a question. People say that about 4 billion people will go to the polls in 2024. How easy or difficult would it be to take the model of the Westminster accounts and transpose it to elections from... India to the United States to South Africa to Taiwan to on and on and on. Where how how possible is it to take the model that's been built between sky and tortoise and see whether you could do that for democracy globally? So I would say, having spent a lot of time criticising how you know how opaque our system is and it's not very well put together, you look at other countries and actually the UK you know in does are better than a lot of countries. I mean, we we actually did have a look at sort of was this viable for Canada and we realised actually the the information they make available would not allow you to have anywhere near the level of granularity um, that you have for the UK. So actually, I think it'd be quite difficult. And that is, in a sense, as much as I think the UK system can be improved, um, 
there is also the fact that they do have to record quite a lot um, made this project possible in the first place. Right, well, you know, we're not going to ask you to do it by the end of the week, but it's definitely something to try and figure out. Um, Sam Coates, thanks very much for coming in. I appreciate you uh, coming over to the Tortoise Newsroom. Um, and actually, I should say, I really appreciated working with Scar on this. We, when we started this thing, couldn't quite conceive of how would an organisation like yours that is up to date and on the news every minute work with ours, a slow one that's trying to see how these trends develop. But actually, the joy of it was exactly that. Uh, slow and fast um, so thank you for being here uh, Kat thank you too I think you're headed off to investigate one aspect of uh, the politics that might well shape uh, 2024 uh, and Joe I appreciate you're like deep in it for Westminster Council 2024 so very very good to have you with us uh, thanks very much thank you for listening if you want to explore the database and see what donations your MP received just search for the Westminster accounts on either the Tortoise or the Sky News websites Tortoise.